Tonight, we, we start an incredible journey together. It's a journey through a book called Ephesians in the Bible. It is kind of towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. And, and so all I want to do today is just set the scene. It's like we are scouts looking for a place to land. we movie scouts. We're looking for a, a movie scene. Hello, buddy. And, um, fun. okay, it's already begun. That's my cell phone. And, um, and, and, and we are going on a journey tonight. We're just starting this story. It's a, a story that happened in a city that no longer exists and is thriving at a city. It's, it exists as ruins. The city, it's to a book called Ephesians, but it's to a city, the church in the city of Ephesus. And that city no longer exists in a capacity of a functioning city, but it exists as ruins. And we're going to look at some of those things. It's, it's real people, real relationships, a real story. And we're going to take a, a, a slow journey through this book over the next couple of weeks. It's a book that will establish us in what God believes, what He speaks over us. It's an amazing thing. So much of the church wants to jump into the mission, but when we don't jump into what He speaks over us, His story over us, and we jump into the mission first, we're not going to land in the right place. So if I can just ask... Can we have the first map up, please? Tonight's a little bit of a geography lesson, a little bit of a history lesson. This morning I did it in eight minutes. I'm not going to do that again tonight. Not a Jerry. We did have some doubters in the crowd. I did pull it off, just by the way. But I just want to tell you that when you read the Bible and you read the New Testament and you hear of a man named Paul, um, a, fa- a member of our family had been at church for 25 years. She'd gone every Sunday for 25 years. We were talking to her. And I mentioned Paul. In 25 years, after 25 years of going to church, she didn't know who Paul was. She'd never heard of Paul. And we can laugh about that. We can engage. Maybe you in the same story say, you don't know who Paul is. I want to tell you who Paul is. I want to tell you as a man who got broken, he was the worst and the worst of sinners. He, he persecuted God's people, but God chose him. God breaks into his life, engages him on a road walking, blinds him, sends him off on a mission to meet another man can, named Ananias. Ananias prays for him. He gets his sight back, and he turns from a, a, a Christian persecutor to an absolute lover of Jesus, lays everything that he has behind, his education, his status, and everything, and he begins to take the gospel into the world, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He takes the gospel in power and might. And he starts in a journey in a place that still exists today. We look up to the left there, there's Rome. He spent two years, this book of Ephesians was written from a prison in Rome. He was in prison for two years, so he decided to write a letter that's in the Bible for eternity. A, pr- a letter to a people he loved. He went on a journey, he started out. And I want to take you something through the journey and just show you that, that, that when we read the Bible, these are real places, these are real people, they were real relationships, real situations. Because sometimes I think when I engage with people, they talk like the Bible's just full of stories. Honestly, to me, Jonah and the whale happened. I I have to say that to you, because I've heard preachers say, the Bible's just a bunch of stories that we take the narrative out and we see the story of Jesus through it. It happened. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. It happened. The sea opened up. It happened. Jesus was born to a virgin. It happened. The Bible is the truth. It happened. So when we read the story, can you turn with me to Acts 17? It's in the New Testament. It's the first book after the Gospels. 
We're going to start off in Acts 17. Paul's already started his mission. He's just got gripped with this, this passion for Jesus. So he starts traveling and he wants to see people saved. And something of that passion has to grip the church again. Where the church gets used to our comforts and our fans and our nice carpets and our building, that the, birth, the church was birthed out of radical Christianity where we just went to get people saved. If we lose that thing, we lose who we are. I'm just telling you. And I've said it before here, but if God has to call us to sell up buildings and begin to worship up under the trees of the city so the church gets activated, so the church is alive and not stuck in a comfort zone, then we're going to do it. And that can sound weird, and I don't think we have to throw away the comforts, but if we lose the essence of a gospel that burns, that when it burns so hard we can't keep it inside, we've just got to tell people. That's Christianity. It's a wild thing. Christianity is not a tame, domesticated religion that fits in and amongst nicely amongst the other religions. It is wild. It is radical. It is made up of men named Saul who changed, whose names were changed to Paul because God gripped their hearts. It's a powerful thing. So we're going to start off, and, and we encounter Paul in Thessalonica. And Gabe said two weeks ago, wherever Paul went, you either had revival or riots or both. We see in Thessalonica, it says he... Paul went in verse 2, we're not going to read the whole thing, he went into the synagogue and, and, three on, the, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 5 it says, but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. He begins to preach the gospel and a riot erupts. But the gospel is planted, the seed has been planted. So they carry on and it says, in the next verse it says, in Berea, you see that above verse 10, I don't know your Bible, there's a, a section title, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas all the way to Berea. So he preaches the gospel, the riot comes up, but the gospel seeds have been sown and he moves on to Berea and he begins to pre preach to the Bereans. And the Bible says the Bereans were of, um, they were learned that Paul was preaching the word of God and they went there to, they heard, sorry, I'm running ahead of myself, let me stop. So the Bereans were these good people, they knew the word of God, they received it well. But the dudes from Thessalonica heard he was preaching in Berea. So they came after him in a mob. So he moved on again, but he planted the seed. I'm just telling you the route of the story. I'm telling you how he ended up there. Because it's important that we have the history. It's important that we get the real story. Real people, real places, real stories. He ends up in Athens. And it says in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So he's just waiting for them. He's supposed to just be hiding out. He says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And his heart gets, gets pulled by a tug by the city that's captivated by idols. So he begins to preach the gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of truth. And he goes not just to a quiet little section of the city. Let me just preach it softly. Eh? He goes to the Areopagus or something. I don't know. How, how do you say that? Is that right? Areopagus. He goes to the Areopagus. It's like the center. It's like the stadium, and he begins to proclaim the gospel there with power. It's an amazing, amazing thing. He carries on, he preaches, and then he says, actually, he's planted. Everywhere he goes, he's raising up leaders. He's calling people up to more as the gospel grips their heart. He moves on to Corinth, and he preaches for 18 months in Corinth. Powerful gospel, strong gospel. And, and, and he's teaching the word of God among them, and men and women are rising up. They're accusing them of things. So he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. 
he, he begins to move on again as we go on to the next part of the verse. He moves on, he, he carries on, he begins to go. And on his route, he goes through Corinth. He lands in this little town of Ephesus. Not a little town, a major city. The second largest city in Rome of that time. It was a port, so it had a whole bunch of culture arriving in it. It was a hub of, 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 of spirituality of all different kinds, all happening in this little town of Ephesus, which is kind of, can you see it? You got it there? There it is. So Rome's up top. He's moved around. He's, he's landed in Colossae. That's Colossians. He wrote the book of Philemon there, and, and, and that's where Philemon was. You see Ephesians happens to the city of Ephesus, and the city of Antioch with features are cut off the map, but it's kind of to the right. So most of these cities aren't happening anymore. Something died, but we see Ephesus. Can we shoot to the next slide, please? I want to tell you Ephesus is a real place. I don't know why I feel I need to stress that, but I think so much of the Bible is preached as nice stories for nice Christians to take a nice moral away to live a nice life. But when we realize these were radical people with radical stories who paid radical prices, this man Paul was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned for this gospel to take it to these people. You see, Colossians, Colossae is not just a place, it's people. Gabe spoke last week. Jesus, and and Acts 1 verse 8, we're filled with power to go to Judah, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Samaria was a woman at a well. It was a person. It was a lady. The gospel is personal. It's not about world domination. It's about people. It's about sons and daughters. And we see this was the city. This is where Paul would have walked. And he would have seen and he would have, his heart would have gripped for the people. The next slide, please. An ancient library, just the front facade stands. Double-story library, over 2,000 years old. Still standing today, you can go there. It's on the western seaboard of Turkey. You can go there, you can go to this place. It's a real place. The next slide, please. Just roads with, with shops that would have happened, with houses that would have been built, with stories happening and evolving This is to who the whole book of Ephesians was written. Second largest city in Rome. People walking these streets from different nations as they descended on this port and wealth being transferred and cultures being introduced. Real stories, real people. Next slide, please. What this this city was famous for was a temple, the temple of Artemis. It was a temple where, which was undergirded by a financial institution by the worship of this goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of abundance. So people ran to it because they wanted abundance in their life. It's kind of like, I don't know about, about here, I haven't seen it so much in, in, Durban, in Cape Town, but in Durban you used to get this badly printed form on your car. It's like, phone this guy and he will give you this muti and it will sort out. Boom, boom, boom. You know, boom, boom, boom. It's like your marital problems, people with curses, your work situation. It'll sort out everything. This was the promise of the temple of Artemis. Maybe we can have the next slide. This is the statue of Diana. And we're so offended by idols of the past because we're not used to it. We don't see them everywhere. But in that day, you would have seen idols everywhere. They were commonplace. And when it says Paul's heart was grieved by the idolatry, it's not just something out there, something subtle. It was in your face in those days. 
And this was an idol. She was heralded. She was worshipped. Underpinning this system was a financial system. The temple of Artemis underpinned the financial economy of of Ephesus. So if you wanted a loan, if you wanted money to be raised for a business venture, whatever it is, you would join the sect that worshipped Diana to become part of the system. It's that involved. It's quite a strong situation. And, and, and she is worshipped. She is heralded. People come from all over the world to worship Diana. And Paul arrives to this place. He comes to this place. He goes through Corinthians. Corinth. He goes through Colossae. He goes through all these places. Athens, Berea. And he lands here with his mates, Paul, uh, with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And Timothy joins. And, and a story begins to unfold. Then what we see is we see an Acts. He leaves but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are just tent makers. They're business people. They're business people doing business work. When Paul was there, he began, he came back off his travels and he began to work as a tent maker. And it says on the Sabbath, he would begin to proclaim. So he would work Monday to Friday. And on the Sabbath, he would begin to proclaim. He'd go to the synagogue and begin to preach and declare the truth. And then it says he, he, he went and began to proclaim every day for two years in the hall of Tyrannus. The hall of Tyrannus is something like the Cape Town City Hall. I'm trying to contextualize it for us. This is a man gripped, viewing what people are giving their lives to, what they're sowing their children's inheritance to. The gospel has gripped his heart and he says, I've got to preach into this. I've got to bring freedom here. So he goes into the city hall of Ephesus and he says, people of Ephesus, Listen. This Diana you worship is not God, but there is one. He came a man, he died. His name is Jesus. He begins to preach the gospel, gospel of grace, gospel of love, the truth. There's opposition that comes, sure. He goes away, and, and even some of the opposition that arose as the city began to change, it wasn't like he just preached it and left. The city begins to change. Underpinning this was sta- the, the sale of the statues of Artemis and their silversmiths banging away, making these statues. And people come from all over the world to buy these statues. So there's a whole economy underpinned by that. And it says the one silversmith sh- strikes up and he begins to quarrel and, and cause because his industry is being broken away because the gospel is taking effect. People are saying, I don't need to worship the anim anymore. They stop buying these idols. Big uproar big problem because money is being touched and this all happens because the gospel is proclaimed the gospel starts taking effect and people start responding to the gospel they stop worshiping foreign gods and false idols and they bow their knees to the king of kings and Paul has his journey he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there they encounter a man named Apollos who's got the gospel in his heart too but they're just business people, and it's an amazing thing. Um, it says, he was preaching, and, and, and he knew only of the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. Just business people, not apostle Priscilla and Aquila, not preacher Priscilla and Aquila. Business people, they invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Sure. Business people take a preacher in and explain to him the way of God more adequately. 
What Ephesians tells us is this is a story, not just for preachers. This is a story for business people. This is a story for people prepared to go on a journey with Jesus. Who prepared to have their hearts ignited by the King of Kings. So we're going to spend time in this story. Because the story happens in a city a lot like ours. I said, an influential city, a port city. Our city, Cape Town, is an influential city. The world looks and they marvel at a city that has a mountain in the middle of them. Our port that does so much business and so strategic in world moving of goods around the world. It's a melting pot of cultures. Ephesus, same in our city. Worship. And the idols might not be so in your face like the idol of Diana, but the idols are in your face. The challenge is when you get used to it, you just, you get numb to it. I'm new to the city. And so some things are still in my face. And, and still, I pick up on them. Worship of this and worship, we're going to go and speak about some of those things. Things that are holding people in small spaces and the gospel wants to break in and bring them into big space. And it's the center of spirituality. He asks, what gospel? He says, no, well, you need the Holy Spirit. Have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? He introduces to him to the very vehicle, the Holy Spirit, the one who introduces us to the Father, who seals us with the promise. An inheritance guaranteeing our, uh, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He introduces them because he loves them, because he knows the truth. Yeah. We have a city that is spiritual. Yeah. don't know if you know that. There's a high awareness of spirituality in this city. And people are looking for God. And they're looking in all sorts of places and there are all sorts of voices speaking. We have to show them Jesus by being there, by living there, by loving them. And so I'm going to read from Ephesians 1. And this is what tonight is about. Tonight is just to introduce Ephesians. To create an appetite in you. Maybe you've been saved for 10 years and you've just never read the Bible. It just seems like too much of a mission. Or you got in the Bible and like me, a little ADHD and it's just hard. And I don't know who this Paul dude is. And someone said he was once named Saul. And where is Ephesus? I mean, who cares where Ephesus is? I really want to encourage you to take the word of God. It'll take you about 28 minutes to read Ephesians. If you read faster, maybe about 24 minutes. If you read slow, about 32 minutes. But it's not long. You can get a handle on it. You can get an understanding of who the players are. There's many resources on the internet. Many free resources on the internet. We'll advertise as we go through the series some things we'd like to encourage you to read. But, but why we become strong, how we become strong, is not just by great teaching on a Sunday. Honestly. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll get you a Bible. Because I want you to become strong. Honestly, I believe the success of a church is not how many bums are in seats. It's how many believers are raising up into maturity so they can carry other believers. And the church begins to shine as they stand up in maturity. And when trial comes, we still stand. And when trouble comes, we still stand. And when the storm rages, we still stand. And the, the, the seats of the church don't empty because the believers were never raised up to be mature. So I have to challenge you to read the Word of God. And we're going to do this series together. And it starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. We're going to spend a bit more time there. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It starts out this. He's writing a letter 
but it's full of love to the saints in Ephesus. Saints are not something or someone the church has heralded for something amazing they did. It became that. But honestly, it was a lie. The word saint literally means holy ones. It actually means all believers. Those who have been set apart and made holy by the gospel of Jesus. So he's writing to every believer. Saint Gabe. I know that's what Fiona's been calling you lately. It's good. And, and, and to, he, he could be writing to those in Tableview, Cape Town. To the saints in Tableview. And in the midst of all this chaos, he's writing and, and, and he's, he's reaching out in love. And the whole of chapter 1 to 3 is about position. So if you want to say, well, Mark, how do I read a book? It's six chapters long. How do I engage this book? I want to tell you, Ephesians is split up in two. The chapters 1 to 3 is all about being positioned in Christ. You will hear that word, in Christ, 23 times. It's our position. It's being in Jesus. It's the power of being covered by Jesus. It's his redemption. It's his adoption. It's his lavish grace. It's his love that gets poured over, and it positions us. Teaching us that, that with, with Jesus, we have to understand that God positions us spiritually so we can impact geographically. It says to the saints in Ephesus, he doesn't write a generic thing and send it to everyone. He's writing to the saints in Ephesus. You are positioned in Christ, positioned in him to impact Cape Town today. We're going to carry on with that thought. The last three chapters, four to six, is, well, how do we live that out? How do we take that forward? How do we, how do we move forward? And it's about the practice. So we position in Christ, well then how do we live out Christianity? Just spend your time in one to three even for now. Just let the truth of what God, who God says you are wash over you. And, and so he writes in, and it's an amazing thing, he positions them to have impact in Ephesus. You know it's an amazing thing, in Acts 17 he writes this. Don't turn there, I'll read it to you, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, this is Paul, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples nor by man, nor made, temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of earth. So he made man to live on all the face of earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What an amazing thing. Maybe you think you just landed in Tableview, you just landed in Cape Town just because of whatever. My Bible says that God having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. A lot of the world, and particularly the young generation, we, we work hard to not put down roots. So young people don't look for the securities that, that the generation of 30, 40 years ago did at that age. Because it's like the world's my oyster, so I never put down roots and I never fully understand that I'm called to impact an area. The Bible says you are here by the determined will of God for an allotted time, maybe a month. Tim thought he was coming for three days. He's still here. Where are you, Tim? There. God's got his plans. Paul writes to a people, he's saying, people of Ephesus, people of Tableview, God's got a plan. And he wants to position you in Christ so that you can have an impact here. 
Too much of the church have an impact somewhere else. We give, we, the church in America celebrate giving money to Africa. And that's wonderful and it should happen. But the gospel is not a distant reach. The gospel is about touch. We have to be touching. We call to touch this area and this city. He writes into that context and that situation. The faithful. He speaks about their faithfulness. He speaks about their loyalty. But what does this series mean for us? Just a few more minutes to lay out what this means. See, religion says you behave like this to win the favor of God. The gospel says, believe this. And your behavior will follow. So we have one, two, three, dealing with who we are in Christ, moving, believing right. See, right believing reads to right living. It's the truth. It's quite a thing. I've got kids and you get frustrated when they do silly things sometimes. You do, it happens. But what do you go to them? Come on, you naughty boy. You're a naughty, 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 naughty boy. And he grows up thinking, you're a naughty, naughty, naughty boy. So I'm going to live that out. My dad told me my whole years, I was a naughty boy. And what do you think you end up with? You end up with a naughty boy. And when he's 21, 25, he still thinks, I'm a naughty boy. I might as well live up to it. The gospel says, you're a son of God. That life you lived before is dead now. The spirit of God is in power. You are redeemed. You are adopted by a gospel that is powerful, by a father who loves you. So rise up, son. And the first three words of chapter four is walk worthy of the calling. You're not a naughty boy. You're a son of God. You are a powerful man of God. It doesn't matter what your earthly father says. Your heavenly father says you are equipped to make a difference in the city of Cape Town. You are equipped to love the broken. You are equipped to set the captives free. You are equipped to lead your family well. Because one man sinned. The earth fell into sin and God said, one man. One son messed up, so he sent another son to fix it. And he's calling sons and daughters to rise up to fix Cape Town. Strategies and politicians won't fix Cape Town. Sons and daughters of the living God who believe who they are. See, believing right is a powerful, powerful thing. And in Ephesians um, 1, and 1, 2, and 3, we see all these riches laid out. Gabe sent me some information and this incredible story. There was a lady in America named Hetty Green. How's that story? And she died America's greatest miser. In 1919, she died with 100 million U.S. dollars to her name. 100 million U.S. dollars in 1919. But you know how she died? She was so miserly, she didn't want to waste the money to heat up. She would eat cold, what's that stuff called? Oatmeal every morning. Her son had a leg injury. She wouldn't pay for him to go to a doctor. So she was kept looking around, and while she kept looking around for a free service, he lost his leg. It got amputated because his mother wouldn't spend money to fix it. She ended up dying partly of malnutrition because she wouldn't spend money feeding herself properly. And there are Christians all over the world dying of anemia because we don't know what is under us. We don't know the promise of the gospel, the big picture of the gospel. He says grace is behind all the lavishness. And he speaks about the lavishness of God's grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the riches of his glory throughout Ephesians. It's all in this book. 
And if Christians would just understand the goodness of the gospel that gets inside of us, if we wouldn't sit on the minds of wealth that God has for us, if we would take a hold of it and believe it. It's not about you do this and you do this and you do this ministry, you do this me. No, just know who you are. My job with my kids is to teach them who they are. You know what, boy? That which you did there, actually it was naughty, but you're not a naughty boy, hey? No, Dad. And, and actually, you, 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 you don't want to be horrible to your brother, because this happens a lot in our house. And our, our, we found our three-year-old sitting on top of our six-month-old the other day, riding him like a horse, pulling his ears and slapping him on the bum. So you take him aside and say, Ben, Ben, you're a good boy. Yes, Dad. Ben, Ben, you don't want to hurt Daniel. No, no, Dad, no. And you remind him who he is. He already knows he doesn't want to be the other boy. He's a good boy. He's a son. He's loved. Regardless of what he did, he's loved. And we have to get that in ourselves so we can get it into others. And Paul is carrying this message. And behind this message, God is positioning us so we can do it. It's a message that will change what we believe and what about God, ultimately what we believe about us, and will change how we interact with our Ephesus, our Cape Town. Why will you tell the gospel, well, if I don't preach the gospel and I don't get people saved, God's not going to love me? No, that's not the reason. The reason is because there's so much wealth inside of you, of love and grace. You just have to tell Cape Town. And behind all of this, we're going to call this series, But God. Listen to this. Every time I read it, I want to weep, but please stay with me. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. We'll explain some of that later. Remember that at that time, how's this? And this was all of us before Jesus ripped us out. At that time, you were separate from Christ. There was no bridge. There was no cross. There was no blood spilt. It says you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We could not become citizens of heaven. We, couldn't, we had no access and no right to become citizens of God's kingdom. And you were foreigners to the covenant. To the covenant. And we've got some people here who have walked as foreigners in this land who struggle to get papers, who struggle to get access, who struggle to get the right kind of work, lawyers working, watching cars, trying to make five bucks because of the term over them that hangs over them, foreigners. You've got to ask them questions to understand. It's not an easy road. And we were all of these things, excluded, separate, and foreigners. And in this word, without hope and without God in the world. And then these glorious words, but God. Yo, Mark, but I'm a drug addict. But God. Mark, but in my family, there are seven divorces. But God. I'm just going to fail as a parent because I never had relationship with my father. But God. And he puts these two massive words that change everything. But God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. But God. Changes everything. And in this series, 
We are going to preach as strongly as we can. But God, you were a sinner, but God, you're a son. But God, you were an orphan. Today you're adopted by the King of Kings. The beautiful doctrine of adoption that doesn't get taught enough in the church. We're going to talk about it. You were a slave to sin today. Your ransom has been paid. You are redeemed. You are a slave to righteousness and freedom and love. You were spiritually corrupt. And today, the Bible says you have every spiritual blessing. You've been blessed already. But God, you were left out on your own. But God, you are chosen in him. He chose you before the world began to spin. But God, you were guilty. But God, you are forgiven. You were survivors struggling to keep alive. But God, you were receivers of a lavish grace. I'm not asking you to believe this. I'm telling you this who you are. You were hopeless. But God, you are full of hope. You had no future. But God, you were sealed with this Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Maybe you have no money coming down your family. I'm telling you, you have a greater inheritance than any son of every billionaire. The glorious inheritance of heaven. Maybe you were powerless and you were a victim to everything that ravaged you, your addictions. But God, you have this incomparably great power. It's in the Bible. We're going to talk about it. Maybe you were downtrodden. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe your situation and circumstances have happened. I can't undo that, but I can tell you, but God, in Jesus Christ. You are seated with him in heavenly realms, in a robe you don't deserve, with the righteousness you didn't pay for, just given to you by Jesus. How many days, Carl? Love count. Must be 190. 190 days clean. The power of the living God. But God. Oh, Mark, my life's okay. I'm a struggle with addiction. No, 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 sir. There are riches underneath. Don't die a miser with the glory of God in your life. I don't want to. We're going to learn to do this thing together. All I want to do tonight is get you to go and read Ephesians. That's all I wanted to do. Did I do okay? I want you to read it. Honestly, my greatest joy would be we all came to church next week and we'd read Ephesians and God had revealed something. Because God reveals things to the preacher. If it's Gabe or Warwick or whoever, God reveals certain things. But you know what? He wants to reveal things to you. As Jerry reads, there's things that are going to explode in Jerry's heart that as I read them, I just read through them this time. God doesn't speak to one man, one woman. He speaks to his people. I ask you to take this seriously. I ask as a community we will mature and grow together because we love the word of God. We're going to read we're going to do it systematically because it's beautiful. Can I pray for us? Jesus, the riches of your grace, lavishness, redemption, adoption. I pray explode these words in our hearts, God. That they're not just words we know and words we can quote, but they're words that have exploded the truth in our hearts. They've exploded your love in our hearts, God. Tonight we celebrate engagements. We celebrate new births. We celebrate freedom from oppression and, and addiction. We celebrate you, Jesus. 
and because of those amazing words, but God in Jesus Christ. But a father sent a son. So we come under your word at this time, Father. As your church, we say we position ourselves under your word. And we say, let your word rest upon us. I ask, let your word rest upon us. Ephesus, a real place with a real story, real relationships. And today you're writing your story in Tableview, in Cape Town, in hearts and marriages. You're writing new stories, God. We say, thank you, King. Thank you that in every one of our lives, there are two words that ring out, but God. Today, God. We worship you, Jesus. We love you. I pray for protection and grace on every person here. And I pray, even some of them, as they would read Ephesians, they would struggle to sleep because they just want to keep reading. And I pray, let them keep reading, God. This time, Jesus, give us an appetite for your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen.